Welcome to another episode of Bridging the Gap, where issues of the day meet a biblical perspective. My name is Ryan. I am your host. And on this episode, we're going to be bridging homosexuality and the word of God. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? There are a number of scriptures of focus um, that we're going to be looking at today. The first one is in Leviticus chapter 18 verse 22, uh, as well as Leviticus 20 and 13. We have 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9 through 10, and 1 Timothy 1 through 10. Um, per usual, I have some guests on with me today. You guys have heard from them before. Um, friends from back home, uh, really I call them a brother and a sister of mine. Um, they're my favorite couple. <laughs> and that would be Lou and Cornell. How you guys doing? Hey. What it do? <laughs> yeah, and they're, man, they're in California. I live <clears> in <throat> Arizona. Um, sorry for all you people that pay attention to like everything that's been happening with COVID. Um, pretty much their state is on lockdown still, apparently. But we over here, uh, we are a little bit more liberated. <laughs> but are you guys holding up okay under under the? restrictions and the circumstances <clears throat> yeah I'm, I'm i'm very confident that we're doing very well isolating and staying to ourselves <laughs> i've gotten used to uh smelling my own breath and so i kind of make sure i keep some tic tacs uh when i go out under his mask <laughs> think about that man like yeah when, when you got that mask on what you smelling that's all you can't blame that, <laughs> <laughs> can't blame that on nobody else so nope. Let's get into these scriptures right quick. And uh, we're going to start with Leviticus chapter 18, verse 2. Um, chapter 18, verse 22. I'm sorry, 18, verse 22. And it reads, you must not have sexual intercourse with a male as one has sexual intercourse with a woman. It is a detestable act. Okay, and if we... Uh, push forward to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. It's interesting that this is brought up twice <laughs> in the same book. Um, it says, if a man has sexual intercourse with a male, as one has sexual intercourse with a woman, the two of them have committed an abomination. So you see here these passages that God considers um, sexual activity with a male as with a female as an abomination. Um, I have... Old Testament passages as well as new ones, you know, because a lot of people, just in case, you know, you're dealing with a dispensationalist, <laughs> I want them to know that uh, <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is spoken about under the old covenant as well as the new one. Okay, so if we go to First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, First um, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, it says, "Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit?" the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners. That's a interesting translation. I mean, I'm in the NET, by the way. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know about that one. In the NLT, it says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And finally, 
the last passage, which is in First Timothy chapter one, verse verse ten, <clears throat> and that one reads: uh, "The law is for people who are sexually immoral, or who practice homosexuality, or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God." So those are the passages that we'll, that we'll be focusing on today um, in this episode. Now, it was interesting, <clears throat> just to kind of some opening thoughts about homosexuality. Obviously, it's a, it's a delicate topic today. And for a long time, it seemed as if, even though um, it was becoming a lot more progressive in our culture, in our everyday culture, it was like the only thing that was kind of holding them back from progressing further was like the church, right? The Bible, right? <laughs> it was like now, oh, and and the church had done well for, for many years in terms of holding steadfast to the truth of the word and what the word was teaching as it regards to homosexuality. But even now today, we see that um, homosexuality has infiltrated the church. I mean, there are, um, you know, many ministers and pastors and stuff who are being ordained who also practice homosexuality. They, they have, um, uh, you know, they believe in it. Uh, also, there's people in the church who will marry gays. Um, you know, it's all, and, and there's even gay churches. My wife was just telling me earlier this evening about, you know, old churches just, just you know, uh, practicing homosexuality. So, and I want to start by saying that anybody who's listening to this, if either you yourself are a homosexual or you know somebody who is, you have a family member or a friend uh, who is a homosexual, this episode isn't to bash anyone. Um, if you listen to any of my content before, you know that the idea is always to give a biblical perspective on what the topic is. Okay, so that's what we are aiming to do today. I actually have uh, some friends who <coughs> practice homosexuality. Um, you know, obviously I don't believe in it, but it doesn't keep me from having a relationship with them or loving them. Um, and we'll talk more about how the church has maybe failed in that area and how we can do better as well. Um, but let's get to some of these questions because um, there are questions I think that need to be answered um, and it will be helpful for both sides, both you know the church and uh, those who hold to the belief that homosexuality is wrong as well as those who uh, disagree with that. <clears throat> um, and that's, you know, sometimes the, the best thing is just being able to start a healthy dialogue, okay? <laughs> Um, it's been a lot of hate and division um, over the years, over the topic, and I don't think that it has to do that. Even if you disagree, I feel like we as a society can disagree more in civility than we have. But my first question, and I'll pose this to you guys. Um, you can go first, Cornell. And the question is this. So many say homosexuality isn't hurting anyone. Um my question is, why is homosexuality, why would you consider homosexuality to be harmful? Well, <clears throat> I believe that uh, it's, who is the question coming from? Is it coming from somebody in the world or somebody coming from the church, right? So I think that, I think that plays a big part because Paul says, who are we to judge those in the world, right? You know, they have their own laws, but, <clears throat> but really looking at that, uh, what makes it harmful is that when you look at Genesis 1 and 2, we're supposed to be image bearers of God, 
that we're created in his image and we're supposed to represent his image in the world. And this just doesn't go for homosexuality, but it goes in all areas of life. Like the one that you read, um, <clears throat> none of those were inherit the kingdom of God. And so as a result, you know, if you're practicing homosexuality, while you think it's not hurting anyone, but the, you know, sorry to be said, but that's a, an open sin. That's a sin that is out in the open that almost everybody can see by looking at you or who you're dating, especially in our culture today, it's very visible. And so now what you're doing is you're representing, you know, the image that you're portraying of God is one that's not like his character. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you know, what we see um, also in, in the law, it says that if anyone broke the commandments or broke the laws, it says that you were supposed to immediately go out and stone them. Now, we don't go out and stone people anymore. But the point of that was so that the rest of the people in the nation wouldn't follow suit. The rest of the people in the nation wouldn't do what they did and then lead the people astray. So while it looks like it's, or it feels like you're not hurting anyone, but what you're actually doing is you're showing the world that this is okay. You're showing the world that my behavior or my sin is something that is acceptable. And as a result, you're leading people away from God by, because now other people are saying, oh, it's okay, I can do it too. Or so-and-so did it. So, you know, being created in the image of God, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, and then looking at the law. But then also, <clears throat> one of the things that you see is it's either one, fornication, or two, goes against the laws of, of marriage, right? So if you say I'm not married, then you're fornicating. So that's sin, and that's bad in itself on both levels, if you are a Christian or non-Christian. I mean, if you're, uh, if you're, um, yeah, if you're Christian. But then also, you know, uh, in Genesis, not Genesis, and uh, that's for you, Genesis. But in uh, <laughs> Matthew 19, uh, Jesus talks about the issue of divorce. And it's a principle that can go across the board. And he's basically saying, um, they're asking why did um, uh, Moses give the people uh, issue to be able to divorce their wives? And he said, because of their heart and hearts. And it wasn't always like that in the beginning. So in the beginning, he's basically saying, you know, one man for one woman and marriage was good, but yet we've corrupted it and wanted to divorce and wanted to do things. And so marriage is meant for one man and one woman. And whenever you go against that, you know, you're hurting, you know, the design of what God has caused. So it may not seem something physical, but yet it's something on on a spiritual level that is definitely harmful. So my input would be, it's not harmful if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. It does nothing to hurt anyone who's participating willingly in it. If the question is, why is it harmful for believers or who is it harmful to Mm -hmm. regarding believers, then it hurts the one who has created you in his image because he's the one that we are offending are causing to have a sorrowful heart. So those are the distinctions because you said many people said it's not hurting anyone, but the many people are who? If it's the world, then you're not hurting anyone. You're doing what you feel is right. And especially when love isn't involved, right? These people are not just willy-nilly just doing stuff. They really feel the affection and love for one another. 
which is what God gave us, affection and love and intimacy and closeness and connection. So if you're without Christ, you're not really hurting anyone. You're loving someone, you're being there, you're staying connected the way that God has designed us to feel emotionalized, not designed us to be as far as his image. In the church, of course, our relationship with God is certainly uh, challenged and put at risk uh, with the behavior of, of doing things contrary to what he's asked us to, or given us the grace to be able to do. That would be my little side note. Okay. Um, so it, it's interesting that you said that because I found this article about and, it, and the, the, the lady who wrote the article was she brought up the same passages that I read um, a bit ago and she was essentially saying that these passages aren't speaking to uh, homosexuality from like a relational standpoint or so talking like a sexual orientation right mm-hmm. so like <clears throat> sexual orientation for anybody that's not familiar with that is is about who you're attracted to or want to have relationships with okay sexual orientation include gay lesbian straight bisexual and asexual okay so that's important because her point was this was just about like the sexual act that had no meaning behind it right it wasn't about who you who you want to love like you were saying lou who you want to love who you want to marry okay um in fact so i'll read some of, of, of what she said um she said the two laws of leviticus 18 22 and 20 and 13 seem more pertinent um they call a man lying with another man instead of his wife an abomination she says we should first note that the imagined scenario is a married man committing adultery with another male and that it's not describing what we would understand to be a sexual orientation you might also note the inherent sexism (laughs) in in the leviticus passages Women apparently don't have the same desire or their sexuality is deemed too insignificant to be worthy of comment. And then she talks about how we need context, right? And and I've heard this before and I'll, I'll repeat it here because you know it's important to say, uh, this verse clearly condemns adulterous homosexual sex and calling an abomination. But here are some other things also that the Bible calls an abomination. So she, and she goes on to say, Egyptians eating with Hebrews and having an image of another God in your house, sacrificing <laughs> your child, to the god of Malek, having sex with your wife when she's menstruating, taking your wife's sister as a second wife, eating pork. Ban likewise is wearing mixed fabric clothing, interbreeding animals of different species, tattoos, mocking the blind by putting obstacles in their way and trimming your beard. And she goes on to say, as you can see, there's quite an assortment of ancient laws, some of which seem to make good sense, such as no child sacrifice, <laughs> and others of which the majority of Christians no longer keep such as eating pork and wearing a wool silk blend. So to claim one set as timeless truths while ignoring the others is patently hypocritical and goes against the grain of the text itself. Um, How do you guys respond to that? Well, when you look at that, two things. One, whatever your sin is, let's just say it like that, right? Let's just make it plain. Whatever your sin is, Many times you find scriptures to try to justify it, or you say that that's not my interpretation, or you say that's not the full context. So I think that's what happens a lot of times. <clears throat> People find what their sin is, or find, or they're sympathetic to those that they love who are in that they want to be overly gracious. And so as a result, 
they look at it and try to find different things to justify it. And then the other thing is that, um, uh, I forgot my other thing, but yeah, but so they, they look to, to justify it. And, and you know that, you know, we all can look at the Bible and, and eisegete something. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's what happens a lot is people look to the Bible and they eisegete and they try to. And then, you know, one of the things is they you look at it. ICGD is really quick. Well, eisegete is whenever you basically read into the text, you know, what you want it to say instead of exegeting what it actually says and then you taking what it says and applying it. Okay, thank you. you know. So, but also, you know, one of the things they, they talk about how within that cult, you know, that was only for that culture. That was only, you know, certain laws were for the Israelites and the nation of Israel and for them being in Canaan because they didn't want, God didn't want them to look like all the rest of their neighbors. So he created all these laws so they can be holy and set apart and wouldn't look like them. So they're basically saying that was what the neighbors did. So as a result, they don't have to still follow that because they're no longer under that. But yet certain laws still pass over. Certain things of the moral code still flow into the New Testament, you know, and so, and this is one of them. So, yeah. Yeah, and I was kind of thinking as you were sharing, we always have a reason to try to validate our affections, whatever they're towards. Even if we know they're not good, we still try to validate their reality in our lives. Mm-hmm. And um, all of us have done that from the time Adam and Eve ate the fruit, their affection towards that fruit was greater than their affection towards God. And so we tried to value it looked good or smelled good or it was, you know, whatever it was, because, you know, we don't want to be the ones looking bad. So we have to make what our affections are look better so we don't feel bad about where we are in reality. My affections are greater for my children than they are for God. Well, that's because, you know, they need the love. They need this. I have to spend all my time with them because, and then I don't have time during the day to spend with God. And I make excuses for the affections I have instead of realizing that the affections I have are misplaced. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't make me a bad mom because I'm spending time with my kids, but what will people think? Or what do I think of myself if I don't give that extra time? And so whether it's homosexuality or drinking too much or uh, gambling or whatever it is where our affections are set, just like what you know this lady is saying, it it sounds like that's a little bit disjointed in her understanding of the whole biblical truth, right? As a whole, it sounds like that she hasn't quite cleared up what the Bible really is about. It's a love story. It's not just about rules and regulations. It's about relationship. And so once we establish what the relationship that God wants us to have with him, which is a holy and righteous, a set apart one that's pure and and beautiful, um, then we start to see what his goal is, not for us to be chasing after things and then change, change what he said so that we can keep chasing after them and feeling okay about it, but to chase after him and the desires he has for us so that we can be conformed more to his image and his likeness. And so uh, it it was just a really interesting, um, I mean, it's not that I haven't heard that before, but we hear that every day in life, right? Mm -hmm. We we, we do that perpetually. 
whether it's with scripture, just our general, our general relationship with others or with God. Well, and, and then just one side note of that is a lot of times this is coming from the church now. You know, this is coming from, you know, a lot of uh, uh, PCUSA Presbyterians. It's coming from certain Methodist sects. It's coming from, you know, um, homosexual churches to where they actually have their own churches. And the most part of that is they want to be affirming, you know, and they want to make people feel included. They want people to feel loved. And it's like, this is a bad word, but it's like uber grace or, you know, or extreme grace. And, you know, we all receive extreme grace, but yet they're using their own interpretation of grace instead of God's interpretation of grace to invite people in. And it's not a come in, but yet you can't stay this way. It's come in and be however you want because God loves you no matter what. And that's where we find you know, especially in the church where I guess the, the new style of church or these churches uh, subscribe to this, that's where they're going with it. And re- in reality, it's their version of grace, not God's version of grace that they're extending. Right. Okay. Um, so let's move on to the next question that I have for you guys. And that question is, People who subscribe to same-sex relationships feel, you've heard, I'm sure you guys have heard people say, like, they feel like they were born that way. Like, they had those natural inclinations very early, not very early in life. And I know there was a point in time when, you know, they would have to fight those because society was, um, wasn't very accepting of, of homosexuality, not as much as they are now. Now it's, very, it's a lot easier to, uh, as they used to say, come out of the closet, right? Um, but anyways, they feel like they were born that way. So how do we reconcile their sexual orientation, um, or propensity for same sex attraction with God's original design? Well, I mean, you know, Paul says in Romans nine, that God creates some vessels of honor and some vessels for destruction. Right. So who are we to say, you know, how God creates us? And then another thing is that <clears throat> let's let's be honest. We're all born with some propensity for sin. We're all born, you know. You know, I came out of the womb, you know, uh, hunching my mom at you know one, two years old, and hunching my dad's girlfriends and doing things of of that I shouldn't be doing, right? You know, we all have a propensity to do certain things, but that's the point of the cross. That's the point of us needing a savior. You know, I used to be one who said, no, God doesn't do this, God doesn't do that. But, you know, the potter and the clay. So, but we all need Christ. So no matter how you feel that you were born, we all need a savior. You know, I was born with a whole bunch of stuff, but yet I can't do those things. You know, I got a wife. I can't have two wives, three wives. I can't have side chicks. Sure cannot. You know, I can't have baby mamas all around town. Sure cannot. You know, let's 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 be men, right? You know, so so to be a man, you know, we got a lot of t- testosterone. So I can say, hey, that's the way I was born. <laughs> I need five chicks. You know, I you know you know how it is. I I need, I need a team. I need a squad, right? You know, those are things that you know if, if you if you want to translated right or, or or show a parallel 
but that's what all manly men could say, right? But that's sin, you know, and that's not in the design of God, you know, and that's the reason why I need a savior so that I don't continue down that road of saying that this, this is who I am. This is how I was created. You know, we're all, you know, um, Second uh, Corinthians five, I believe it's seventeen. It says we're all new creations in Christ Jesus now. So as a result, the old is gone and the new has come for the believer, and so we're supposed to take on the life of Christ, and we're supposed to be the image of Christ, the hands and the feet of Christ. And so if we're filled with sin, or if we're filled with behavior that put Jesus on the cross, then you know, how is this okay? Or, you know, um, you know, but yeah. So it's, it, that's where I look at it. Amen. Amen. So <laughs> correction on a couple of things. He couldn't even bear five wives. <laughs> He's barely keeping up with this one. <laughs> he would die. <laughs> and and two, that's, so just everybody who's listening, that's not all manly men's issue. Women, they're not. There's manly men. Of course, but that, that's just an overt just, one. Just, one that's just, out there. Just checking it. <laughs> so you know, one of the things you know, right? I, I was thinking. So it says you know, a lot of people. Your question was that a lot of people feel like I was born this way, and really, if you, if we can take a second to really take that in it's it's like someone saying to those of us who are not that we're heterosexual you're attracted to men that's not okay it it yeah how do you change that i mean if you if someone said that every heterosexual was wrong that it was a sin to be attracted a man to a woman a woman to man it would be horrifying it would be like, what is wrong with me then? I, I, I can never look at a woman that way. I am attracted to men and that's it. And so to challenge that part of them is probably so scary. And, and then trying to figure out what can I do about it? Then I can never get married. I'm not marrying a woman. I'm not even attracted to a woman. Then I can't have a family. I, I, I'll be alone the rest of my life unless I find friends. And, and the, the fact that you're telling me not only is my affection wrong, but it's a sin and I have to change it in order to be in a relationship with Jesus, the, the amount of weight emotionally it puts on someone who feels genuinely that this is the way I have always felt. I've never felt any different. So what is wrong with me? And that's, that's a deep, heavy feeling because how do you change being heterosexual. I mean, you can, the same way you can change being homosexual, but I just don't want us to take away the weight, the gravity of what is a reality for those who are struggling with this. And then, you know, secondly, your second part of the question was that, how do we, how do we reconcile this sexual orientation or the propensity for same sex with what the word of God says? It's that, are you willing to sacrifice that for Christ, the way he was willing to sacrifice all that he was for you. Is your need and your desire to be with someone of the same sex greater than your need and desire to be with God? That's the only real way I think we can reconcile how to 
balance that in our lives. Because if there's if there's an alternative, it's like, well, oh, well then I can choose my same sex partner and Jesus. No, you can't. So what is the answer? The answer is choose your affection. I'd rather lose out and be by myself my whole life, whether it's gonna be hard for me or whatever it is and, and not miss out on the kingdom. I'd rather never be married and never have children or go adopt or find a guy friend that I could just hang out with. You know, I, I don't know, but if we dis- desire Christ more than our affections, that's how we can reconcile the truth of God's word, which is love me first and I'll take care of everything else. You know, and so that's kind of how I was thinking about those two questions because our reconciliation came from Christ really dying so that we're, we could die too, so that we're connected to him. And if we're not dying, we're just taking all our garbage along saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, with this big bag. And he already said, oh, if you're not willing to leave your spouse or your children or your land or whatever you got, you're not worthy. And so that we have to be willing to say, I'll give this up for Christ because he gave everything up for me. And that's the only true way to reconcile that part of emotional heaviness, if I can say that, for those who are struggling with how am I wrong for this? You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, definitely makes sense. My baby always so deep. (laughs) (laughs) I love that about her. Um, It reminds me of, There's a, a woman, and you guys, I'm sure you guys are familiar with her, Jackie Hill Perry. You guys have heard of her, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Jackie has an idea. She is, uh, she's a she's a poet. I think that's what a lot of people know her for. Um, mm-hmm. Her and other, and, and some other friends, they have done a lot of poetry, a lot of Christian poetry over the years. So quick thing about her, she actually um, used to be a, she used to be lesbian, okay, in the past. And she gave her life to the Lord. Um, and I mean, now she's, you know, she has a husband, she's married, has, uh, you know, a number of children now. Uh, but one thing she said she was, that was interesting and, you know, said it on live air, said it publicly. She's very open about, um, her mm-hmm. past because, uh, it's part of her testimony, you know, and, and I, I think she, she has a heart for others who may, like you said, Lou, may struggle with that, that, that idea like that. It, it really is an identity type thing. Right. Um, so what she was saying was that attraction that same sex attraction it never actually went away when she gave her life to the lord it still it still lingers somewhat like so she was she was talking about how like you know she would see a woman and like those same like you know feelings from before that might or thoughts that might pop in her head you know what i mean like it it still happened And, and that was something that she had to um you know crucify you know, day, daily crucifying your flesh, as, as Christ said, you know, um, you know, pick up your cross and follow me, what you were speaking to, Lou. And I just thought that that was so interesting because when you ask the question, well, if I was born this way, you're telling me that how I'm feeling my affections toward this individual who's the same sex as me is wrong. What am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And for somebody to convert to Christianity and who does not practice that lifestyle anymore, to come alongside you and say, yeah, like, I hear you. I felt the same way. And it's something that, again, you have to be willing to sacrifice. And to your point, Cornell, talking about just relating it to any sin, um, we put, I think it's a society, and I don't know if we did it inadvertently or purposely, but 
we put homosexuality so high on the list, you know, that things are ignored. And, and a lot of people in the homosexual community will say, well, you guys, you talk so much about homosexuality. You don't talk about divorce. You don't talk about murder. You don't talk about all these different things that are also sin. Why do you focus so much on homosexuality? You know, and and I was like, I don't know why we focus so much on that because yeah, sin is, I mean, murder is wrong, you know, theft is wrong, drunkenness is wrong. All these other things are wrong. Divorce is wrong, like under certain circumstances. Um, so yeah, you are right. <laughs> um, well, the difference is that we're not trying to make drunkenness okay. Right, right. That murder, is, okay. We're well, not trying to. Some people do that though. I mean, you know, we got, we got you, Christians. You justifying your, yeah. trying to justify your sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Like you mm -hmm. said earlier, we always, whatever our affection is towards, whatever it's for, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's alcohol, whatever it's for, we always try to find a way to justify it. Um, but and but for the homeless, for the person who practices homosexuality or who struggles with it, that's what your propensity is for. For somebody else, it might be something different. They might be struggling with something different. But it's all under that umbrella. It's all under that umbrella of sin. It's all the same to God. Is kind of the point that I was making. You know, you know what, Ron. One thing that you have to look at is people's conversions, right? <clears throat> you have people who make conversions or they convert to Christianity. But yet it's out of tradition or it's out of pressure or it's out of this is the right thing to do. But yet then there are others who when they convert, you know, as Second um, Corinthians 5, 14 says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Meaning that because of his great love, it compels us to want to follow him. It compels us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. It, it, it compels us, you know, to, to do the things because we love him, mm. not because it's a chore, not because, and even though it's hard or even though it may seem like it's something, but because of his, our great love for him and his love for us, it's something that we do. And so I think that that's a piece that's missing because, I mean, that's across the board because there's so many people who come to faith, but what was that encounter like? You know, what was that um, come to Jesus talk them com converting about? You know, because whenever you've had a, a real life conversion to where you know what you're safe from, <clears throat> you know, the love of Christ compels you. And so as a result, you know, things may be hard, but yet because of what Christ has done for us, you know, your why, then now, you know, you pursue after him and and, and I'm not going to say you do it easily, but by no means, but yet you do it joyfully because of what he's done for you. Yeah. yeah. That's good. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to the last question, um, which is how should the church approach this particular sin in a way that's both gracious and truthful? Um, I sometimes you often hear me on this podcast um, echo what the book of John says about how Christ came full of grace and full of truth and how I think that that balance of the two is very important in the church as it stands I find that they have a very hard time balancing the two they're either um, really heavy on the truth <laughs> not enough grace or really heavy on the grace like you were saying earlier Cornell and not enough mm -hmm. truth uh, but you need both both are healthy um, so yeah, how should the church approach this particular sin in a way that's both gracious and truthful? I mean, we, you know, we talk a lot, so we both have the same approach, you know, a proper balance of grace and truth. 
And, you know, I believe, you know, when you're talking about the church, I mean, uh, Catholic basically means universal, right? So the universal church, we're not even in agreement because there's so many denominations, there's so many schisms, there's so many different views that the church is nowhere near an agreement to where you have moderates, you have, you know, the far right, you know, you have the, the far, you or the far truth, and then you have the, the, the far grace. So that one, the church is not even on one accord with this because we're so divided. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, I believe that, you know, the church has been very hard on this, as you said before, mm -hmm. because, you know, especially the, the evangelicals in a modern time, you know, the only two sins in the Bible are abortion and homosexuality. So it's the only two sins in the Bible to evangelicals, you know, <laughs> you know, homosexuality and abortion. That's it. <clears throat> and, and what they do is basically, you know, they're putting yokes on the necks. Of, basically, they're, they're becoming the Pharisees that Jesus talked about in, in Matthew 24, I believe, mm -hmm. you know, basically talking about they travel for forever to find converts, but then they put a bigger yoke on their neck you know, than, than what's needed. And so there needs to be a, a proper balance, you know, um, and it's not happening. And I think that's what the church, the church needs to internally search its own soul because the same grace that was extended to each member freely by God is the same grace that needs to be extended to those who have this lifestyle. Because let's be honest, you know, when I went to seminary, we had groups of men where men where we, we had groups where like, hey, I'm struggling with porn. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm struggling with lusting. I go out jogging and I see all these women in their, their yoga pants. I'm struggling with lusting or I'm struggling with masturbation. You know, and if these things that you're going through, how much and, and you want people to show you grace, how much more are those who... Uh, have that type of lifestyle that we're talking about and who are in the church. The same grace needs to be extended that you want. So, but yet not letting go of the truth, saying this is the standard. I, I live up under it too. So everyone being open and honest about what they're dealing with as well, instead of just pointing the finger at what other people are dealing with. Yeah. You know, because homosexuality and, and abortion aren't the only two sins in the Bible. Right. Which is the point that a lot of people in that and in, in, in those groups in that community make. They say like, "Yeah, you guys are making a really huge deal out of homosexuality, but you ignore all these mm -hmm. sins that are so prevalent within your own within your own church." You know what I mean? But so then they're playing tit for tat, trying to justify their lifestyle. Right. But instead, right. but instead, they should say, "You know, you're doing this, you're doing that." But yet, the standard is still here. Right. So therefore, <laughs> I, I still need to live up under the standard. And not point to you and and say you're not doing it, so I don't have to do it. Yeah, it, my, my my pointing out my sin doesn't make your sin any less of a sin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I get that too. It's it's this is two sides to that. Um, Lou, what were you thinking? Well, yeah. As as believers, we should do exactly what Jesus did, and that's to just welcome anybody. Mm -hmm. who wants to come in to come in and do what Christ did have life changing moments with them 
that they're not just hearing the gospel, but they're being able to receive the gospel in love so that their lifestyle, like what you know Cornell was saying, is that it propels them towards Christ, even with all the baggage and the stuff they don't know what to do with. You know, it propels them towards Christ. And they say, well, Lord, I have to lay this at your feet because I have no idea what to do with it. And if Jesus could do that with all the people that came to him, whether they stayed with him and followed him or said, what you're saying is too hard for me. We can't, we can't continue with me, with you. Like he said about the, you know, drink my, drink my, my blood and eat my flesh. They're like, yeah, that's kind of a hard saying. We're going to pass on that. And they stopped following him. But what we should be doing is exactly what Christ did. Not saying, hey, you know what? You're gay. You're a homosexual. So yeah, we don't do that here at this church. So get yourself together, then come back Mm -hmm. to the place that's supposed to be the body, right? That, That doesn't make any sense. It's the opposite of what Jesus wants us to do. And no more do we turn do we turn away someone who's like, you know. Now, I think that if you fornicating, if you sleeping around with women that are not your 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 wife, you're not married, if you lying, if you dealing falsely with people, stealing folks' money, you don't need to be in the pulpit, you don't need to be singing, you don't need to be serving, you need to be sitting. Sitting at the feet, listening to the gospel preached, the good news preached about what Christ Jesus can do. For us, what he can do for you. And the same thing with those who have the propensity to be affectionate towards another sex. Why are we leaving people out? You know, I wouldn't want someone to see my sin and say, you're not welcome in the body of Christ. And that's what we do. Okay, that guy is gay. So... And I remember a guy, when we had a meeting, I don't know if you remember this or not, Ryan. And I, he said he was so repulsed when he was sitting next to this gay guy at church. And I said, what do you mean repulsed? And he was like, I mean, he was gay. He was sitting there clapping and singing like nothing was wrong. Wasn't that what you were doing when you first came to Christ? Was somebody repulsed by your lying, by your this? Your sin was so black. And so dark that Jesus had to actually die on the cross, but you were repulsed by somebody else's sin? How does that happen? At least you can see his. Yours was hidden. It was covered up. How are we so high and mighty that we've forgotten about what Christ has done to us? It's not about us extending grace. God has already extended that grace. He said, my grace is sufficient in your time of need. And so if we just remember the mercy that God has given us, we would extend that same type of mercy or judgment to anybody else and say, I know what a lonely place this is probably for you. I know what people are probably saying about you and thinking how they're pointing their fingers at you. And I'm gonna pull you in even closer so that you know that the love of Christ doesn't, it it doesn't say that one sin is bigger than the other. My sin was just as wretched. My one lie put him on the cross. So instead of us pulling people in closer, we find that people are being vulnerable enough to say that I was repulsed by that. You know, and it's like, (laughs) when did we stop looking in the mirror at our reflection compared to Christ? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's super sad because that's how detached we are from Jesus. That's how far away our relationship is with Christ that if we're walking with him, 
and we look at somebody who's walking by and says, hey, don't bother Jesus. You have nothing to offer. You have nothing you could possibly give to Jesus. Stop calling them. We're walking with the Lord and we're gonna tell somebody don't don't bother him. You know, and it's like, what? You not, must not be walking too closely mm-hmm. because you would see yourself, the one isolated, the one alone, the one feeling like you need a savior, but don't know what to do. So I don't know, I, I feel as the church, our, our privilege is to pull those in just like Christ Jesus does. And that's what he's, that's what he's given us. That's the, the task, the love, the, I mean, he trusts us to do that. What he did for us, he trusts us to do other people. And it, it's such an amazing feeling to know that you're loved even when you've done something wrong. And that's what Christ Jesus gives us, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you said a mouthful there. And one of the things I'll also point out is, like you talked about the idea of like us kind of seeing ourselves, like, you know, kind of looking in the mirror as opposed to looking through a microscope, right? <laughs> At other people. Um, and what's the passage? I think it was a parable that, that Christ was was using and he talks about the man who, who had a great debt that was forgiven, right? And um, <clears throat> I think at the end of that, one of the principles that... Um, what's freely been given, you should freely give. Well, well, well that, but the but, but the person who, who forgiven much loves much, you know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Who's so, been, yeah, who do you think loves Jesus more? Right. Person, one, that person's like, oh, I guess the person who's forgiven, been forgiven more, dead. <laughs> yeah. And I also think about Christ when he was, when he came to the aid of the um, the adulterous woman um, and he starts drawing a line in the sand is like, you know, he who was without sin, cast the first stone, blah, blah, blah. You, you know the story. But I like how he 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 led with love first and then gave her gave her the truth. Because at the end of that, he said, go and sin no more, right? <clears throat> He's like, I don't condemn you any more than they do. Um, but go and sin no more. <laughs> so it's like he still he still maintained that standard, like Cornell was saying. There's still the truth of, yeah, what you what you were doing was wrong. Okay, you can't continue to do that. But he led with with love. And I think that for the church um, for many years was maybe going the other way around. I mean, I, I, I think about uh, videos and images I've seen where, um, you know, with, with supposed believers with these picket signs and stuff and you know, God hates gays and all this kind of stuff and Bible bashing and everything. And they were leading with the truth. And even in with how they were leading was, was, wasn't even done in the right way. You know what I mean? Saying that God hates gays, like really? Um, so I think leading with love and following up with, with the truth would be, um, I, I think that's a sound approach. Now, that doesn't always mean that they're going to respond in the ideal way. <laughs> um, you know, because because again, these are people who who really believe in their heart, like you said earlier, that what they're doing is okay. You're like, I don't see anything wrong with this. And you're sitting here telling me that, you know, something's wrong with this. Something's wrong with me. Right. Something's wrong. I have a deficiency. Something's wrong. Not just regular wrong. It's sin wrong. Right. With my affection. Whoa, that's big. Yeah. 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 Um, well, that was, that was all good stuff. Um, uh, <laughs> you guys, um, 
appreciate you guys coming on and really this this uh, i'm gonna do another episode on this next week um and really i just wanted to kind of start off and, and lay a foundation lay some groundwork for the discussion um starting from a biblical standpoint because i want people to understand that scripture scripture does not agree you know with 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 the lifestyle with that sin okay and i know that uh people have you know tried to reevaluate scripture and and sometimes even twist it uh, and make it seem like um uh, scripture doesn't object to it when that is not the case um and again that, it, and that goes for that sin as well as any other one that somebody else might try and justify like you were saying uh the scriptures are very clear uh, even in, even in reading them and even taking to, even taking context into account <laughs> even taking culture into account um and i think one of the reasons one of the things i found about the bible is the most important the most important things are always reiterated the most important things are always echoed okay if it's something that's explicitly stated and you see it reinforced over and over and over in scripture it's probably because of something that god really wants you to know and i go back to those leviticus passages i mean it was mentioned twice in the same book <laughs> that's how important it is to god clearly okay and then we see it um mentioned in those new testament scriptures so that tells me alone that this is not something that scripture agrees with um I mean, even if you're talking about sexual orientation you know if it's not just it, even taking it past this, um the place of just uh just random casual sex with somebody who's not my spouse you know like it, it it's 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 bigger than that uh because again it goes against the the design <clears throat> that that you were alluding to earlier uh being image bearers for god so um I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts before I closed out. Well, um, well, you know, uh, really just looking at it, one thought to kind of close out, you know, many people say, you know, Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. He didn't say anything. So therefore, but there are a lot of things he didn't say anything about, but yet they're still wrong. You know, he didn't come and speak on everything, but yet he spoke on certain things that they needed to hear. Uh, as well, if we believe that Jesus is God, then he did speak about it because it's all through the Old Testament. It's all through scripture. So therefore he's spoken, he's the word. Mm-hmm. He's already spoken these things. So we can't use Jesus never said anything about it because if Jesus is the word of God and Jesus is God, then he's already spoken on it. So I wanted to kind of make that clear because there are a lot of people who use that as something to say that, you know, they're okay. So no matter what you say, I'm fine because Jesus never said anything. (laughs) Yeah. And I just wanted to say that if anybody is listening who has struggled, is struggling with this, um, trying to understand your own identity in Christ with feeling these ways, I, we know that the struggle is is real mm-hmm. and you're not alone we're with you to go through it with you to share with you to to help through this process because we all need we need each other and that's why god um, gave us this community of faith and and also 
to take a chance sharing what is going on with you with Christ Jesus our Lord. Take take a chance, risk that vulnerability and share with him. He's so faithful to come through. He's so faithful to care for every one of our needs and our sadnesses, our shame, our guilt, our confusion, our loss of identity. And, and he can give that back to us. It's, it's not going to be an easy road, no more than abandoning any sin that we've been a part of or any affection that we hold dear to us. But God can do it. And he took a risk. He, he, he sacrificed himself, hoping we would come to him. He put that seed in the ground, hoping that he'd bear the fruit, which is us, back to himself. And we want you to know that you can take a risk on, on Christ, that he is faithful to his word, and that we're here for you, and that we love you the same way Christ does. No condemnation, growth and maturity in Christ, a relationship and a connection that will bless your life. Amen. Amen. Well, um, that wraps up this episode of Bridging the Gap, um, part one for our um, topic of homosexuality. Thank you guys for tuning in. If you uh, care to hear more um, of the same content, do subscribe. You'll find me on Anchor, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, a lot of the major platforms. So uh, definitely subscribe, share with the friends, all that jazz. Um, also, something that I'm something new that I'm doing <clears throat> is uh, I like to kind of engage my listeners a little more than I have in the past. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'll have you guys, if you feel so inclined, um, email me any questions that you may have pertaining to the topic. Um, I'll look those over and see if I can address those in the upcoming episode. And like I said, I am doing a second episode on this topic. <clears throat> We're going to be looking at it from a different angle. Okay. So if that, if that's you, feel free to email me at bridging the gap 54 at gmail.com. Okay. Again, that's bridging the gap 54 at gmail.com. Um, I hope that you guys enjoyed what you heard and that you will join us next time. God bless. <laughs>